Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. The point is, uh, are we going to get raptured or aren't we? (laughs) I don't think we're getting raptured. Are any of us going to get raptured? None of us. None Um, of the people in this room are going to be raptured. No, but I still would love to witness it. Um, Just to to take people's boots. Here's yeah, because <laughs> there'll be boots everywhere, they and will, jackets. I've and seen pants. the movies. They they just disappear, and right. all that's left is their clothes. That is free clothes for everyone. everyone. Yeah, you brand new start stuff. A store. Oh. Well, I, ra- rapture, re, rapture, re, rapture, reuse, recycle. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really work like that for us. Oh, sorry. Oh. Sorry. Well, we'll we'll enjoy wearing the Protestants' clothes. Yeah, we will. The righteous suddenly vanish, whisked up into heaven. Four horsemen visit death and destruction on those who remain. Monstrous beasts arrive by land and by sea to terrorize humanity. The nations of the earth join together to follow a false prophet, and the dead return to earth for a mass judgment. The Christian concept of the apocalypse has its roots in the Old Testament, but its fullest articulation is in the last and arguably most notorious book of the Bible, the Revelation of St. John. The book is known for its layers of symbolism, with some images and events needing to be deciphered, whereas others are read literally. The great whore sprawled across the desert represents Rome. The beasts rising from the ocean and earth are humans who will mislead humanity. The horsemen are different kinds of mass disasters. But the second coming of the Christ, the establishment of heaven on earth, and often enough, the rapture of the true believers are accepted as actual eventualities. Perhaps the only way we can untangle this web of symbols and actual supernatural events in Revelation is to follow its apocalyptic vision across time, from the time when it was written in the first century of the Common Era to the present day. What's up, gang? Sup? We're all still here. <laughs> wah, wah. You guys made the cut. This was a popular episode. A lot of alchemical actors wanted in on this rapture talk. Mm, <laughs> we put them in a lottery. <laughs> and then whoever... We rolled you guys around. Everyone else is dead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're all that's left. But then, yeah, everyone got raptured. So we, sweet. Yeah, it's just so us. It's rapture yeah. lottery. See, I was thinking it as uh, you all raptured us. So you you took us and oh, left everyone Rob else. Oh, Rob and I are like God. Oh, we yeah. are. <gasps> Well, a lot of it. Well, if I'm I'm the whore of Babylon. Yeah. Oh, so the whore so of no Babylon wonder you're here. is She's that yeah. So is that like that that the whore of Babylon that's going to take over and pull everyone away is the Catholic Church. It's a lot of them. Is the Catholic Church is the oh, whore of Babylon? Sh- so wow. the Catholic Church is in your Satan. modern reading, right? In the modern yeah, reading, that's modern the reading. people that right. stand outside with the signs. All right, uh, I, let's bring Sean Priest over to the circle real quick at the beginning here. Sean, come on over. Get real close there. Come Hey, hey, Sean. Sean's been uh, Sean's been with us for for quite a while now, haven't you? How long has it been? Ah, uh, my first episode was with the human sacrifice segment, so it's been a while. We sacrificed you. Yes, and yet here you are. I come back. Oh, Ooh, I'm Jesus. Weird. Or Kenny. The rapture. It's, his second <laughs> it's, it's, it's Sean's second coming. Uh, but uh, you, you probably recognize Sean's voice. He does a lot of voices for us, uh, and so much like Brandon Walls, uh, it is time to award Sean with a title. 
Brandon and Sean, right, are our most frequent flyers as far as voices are concerned. Uh, so uh, we've already thought about this, Sean, because I think our listeners are tired of hearing us hem and haw over titles. Uh, Olivia, I'm going to let you go ahead and take this one. What have we uh, decided to officially name Sean as we induct him into the alchemical actors f- for reals? Jacob, can I have like a little tune? Like a little like... What kind like of tune? Something official sounding, yeah. something ceremonial. Get in there, get in there. Voice of the king. Voice of the king. From henceforth, Sean, you shall be known among the alchemical actors as Voice of the Kings. Because as Bree pointed out to us before we started recording today, you have voiced a lot of kings. I have. I really have. So what what are some of these kings? I actually, I have a terrible memory because I write all these episodes. So The what, king of kings. The king of kings. Jesus. <gasps> that is correct. Did some Jesus. <laughs> uh, I also did. I also did the episode where... The oh, king... the, the, the cart. The night yes, of the cart. the night of the cart. Night of the cart king guy. So many kings. King of King of Hearts, King of our hearts, Sean. Oh, <laughs> my name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors. Here today with our grandmaster Olivia Literal. Hello. What's going on? I am here, and I'm a little bit sick still. But we're talking about the rapture. So you're gonna rapture all over Jacob there? Yeah, I'm like looking him in the eyes as I. Rapture. I want to throw up. That's right, Jacob fans. <laughs> Jacob Wheatley is back, our knight of the dangling serpent. Oh, I'm back, baby. What's going on? What's going on? Anything? Uh, yep. Okay. <laughs> and nope. Riley Claxton, our resident Catholic. How are things? They're good. Things are Things are good. I'm glad things are good. Fantastic. Just got back from an EDM festival. Yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> just like threw her out there. Right. Was that a, not a thing we? T- I feel like our listeners want. are into are it. Are Catholics no, allowed to go to EDM? Was Tool there? Okay. Uh, let's. Do nuns EDM? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the ones you know, I would definitely. We, the members of, of the, the secret, secret order, order of alchemical, alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Good. Okay. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Welcome to the alchemical actors. Uh, let's get down to business here. Olivia, could you please open up the three plugs? Plug. 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 All right, I'm going to start with our sources today. The list is long because I'm dealing with Bible stuff, which makes me nervous, so I get extra sources <laughs> to make me feel more authoritative. Seriously, Bible scholars are so mean. They're so mean. Don't I know there's it. there's so many, I feel. I know. It's like the Shakespeare scholars. There's yeah. just too many of them, and they're all very testy. They're very scary. Like, they can write whole books about, like, four lines in the Bible. I know a girl who did her entire master's thesis on Protestant women's poetry. Hmm. Is that in the Bible? I, she no. had to read a lot of the Bible <laughs> to interpret it. All right, let me get through this. Leonard Thompson's The Book of Revelation, colon, Apocalypse and Empire. John M. Court's Approaching the Apocalypse, colon, A Short History of Christian Millenarianism. Matthew Avery Sutton's American Apocalypse. Apocalypse. This is a tough word for me today. Cameron Osfalls, The Mystery of the Book of Revelation. William Blackstone, Jesus is Coming. Jewish American Society for Historic Preservation. Hal Lindsey, Countdown to Armageddon. Done. <laughs> 
Could I give a, a quick plug to BibleStudy.com for <laughs> giving me a quick refresh? No, but in all honesty, when you go on BibleStudy.com, you're like, oh, this is going to be super biased. It's actually very educational. Balanced. Same balanced with Catholic Answers. CatholicAnswers.com. Yeah. Catholic That's yeah. what I used to use when I went to uh, Christian school. Wow, that's like, it was like Sparks Notes yeah. for mm-hmm. the Bible. Yep. We want to welcome our patrons, Chrysanthemum C. Chrysanthemum, isn't that fancy? Mm. Oh my God. My favorite flower. Mm. I want to know what the last name is. We don't, I, I like to keep their privacy. I know, but so. like that must be such a cool name. Like they're two All together? Like, or it's just like really short. I'll whisper it to you later. Okay. Rush S and also Nikki T. Welcome to our family of patrons. Delighted to have you all. Welcome. Welcome. We also uh, want to make an announcement. Um, so our friend Mickey. Mickey! Who we've talked about many Mickey times Mouse. on the podcast. Uh, patron, good friend of ours uh, now from Connecticut. Yeah. So not a friend we've ever met, but we have many of these people now that <laughs> we are friends with like in the okay. podcast sphere. You're so fine. Okay, so Mickey started a podcast? Really? Yeah. Yes. And uh, listen to the name of it. It's called Occult Connecticut. That's amazing. Ah, sounds That's familiar, cute. doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Delightful homage to to the uh, to the old occult confessors here. Uh, and I was listening to Mickey just this morning, and uh, the first episode's pretty cool. He talks about uh, some vampires from Connecticut, some Connecticut nineteenth-century oh, vampires. Yeah, I didn't know that was a hot Wait, spot. So, so is the podcast just about occult in Connecticut? Yeah, he tells oh, stories about amazing. the occult or you know magical paranormal things, but it's it's Connecticut based. That's so cool. <laughs> I thought it just because like he's from Connecticut, but that's so cool. He's a, it's a Connecticut, it's a local history oh. thing. Yeah, so check out Mickey's podcast. Uh, we're delighted for the homage, Mickey. Woo. Let's close up those plugs. Plug, plug, plug. Beautiful. Okay, uh, so we got a lot of work to do today. Let's get on into it, shall we? Be- beginning with the revelation of Saint John. Or just John, if you're not one of those saint people. <laughs> if you just want to be casual with him. <laughs> casual John. <laughs> I don't really want the saint relationship. The whole John thing's going to become questionable, too. So John's vision begins when he meets a man wearing a gold sash with white hair and blazing eyes. It is the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ. He holds seven stars and is accompanied by seven lampstands. Seven. Seven. Right, seven, which seven. we know from our Babylonia episode seven, means seven, what? Seven. Oh. Right? In ancient it's culture. It's all over. Just a bunch. Yeah. Seven just means Everywhere. a bunch. It just means a bunch. So whenever we see seven, we need to sub in a bunch. He holds a bunch of stars and is accompanied by a bunch of lampstands. <laughs> he, he instructs John... <laughs> To write a bunch of letters to a bunch of churches, which... <laughs> okay, so it's seven letters to seven churches. Okay, so in this case, John seems to actually mean literally seven, not a bunch, because the number appears again and again in Revelation, with John going through each of seven phases in an apocalyptic unfolding. So John's actually deep into real seven, not just Babylonian a bunch seven. Although it's it's hilarious. I love a bunch seven. <laughs> So, John accuses the churches in Asia of following Jezebel, who I always thought was a sexy lady, but is just a false prophet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
lame. Very Maybe she's sexy a sexy. Yeah, she dances. She's sexy. Well, she prophet. encourages like but, sexy. Yeah. Okay, yes. I thought she had something. Also, eating a food sacrificed to idols. John thinks you shouldn't do that. You should just let that alone. Yeah, that's too sexy for him. Too sexy. <laughs> that food eating. It's like strawberries and chocolate and whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> Smack it out of everyone's hands. Really? No. It's too sexy. Too sexy. <laughs> it's <in> bananas. So. <laughs> To answer and counter this false... We're already having too much fun. People are going to be raptured today. The Antichrist is coming. To answer and counter this... (laughs) Oh. To answer and counter this false vision, John receives another vision of God on his throne, surrounded by 24 thrones. Oh, shit. For elders who just sit around and worship God. Oh, well, that's narcissistic as hell. That's how heaven is. There's always a bunch of... I mean, yeah, if you're God, you are narcissistic. I do the same thing. Well, okay, Riley, I say that respectfully. That's not what I mean. Here comes the Satanist. She's really... No, no, no. Okay, I'll stop. uh, Heaven is often depicted this way, though. Mm -hmm. No, that's... I guess I'm saying I'm not surprised. What? Why are we looking up and around? There was a flash. Yeah. Did you see the lights turn on? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, ah, I he's not. I said this the is one thing. of the signs. Oh, <laughs> I am perfectly comfortable with God being worshipped at all times by 24 elders. No, oh, I'm on board with good it. Good for him. If I could, <laughs> I would. This but is what I've been For them. Also, a lion is there with an ox. Lion of Judah. Something... I want to be clear. It is Great something band. with a face like a man. John doesn't get into any more detail there. It's <laughs> a man-faced thing yeah. and an eagle. Lion ox, man-faced thing, eagle. A scroll with seven seals appears that only a lamb, capital L, which has been slain and has seven eyes, capital eyes, and seven horns, can open. I don't think the eyes are capitalized. <laughs> They're just very wide eyes. Yeah. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God and from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The seven seals are opened and the four horsemen of the apocalypse are released. Here they are, Olivia's favorite guys. Uh, the last of them is Death, who uh, is astride a pale horse and takes a fourth of the earth to destroy with pestilence and famine. The fifth seal reveals the martyrs, and the sixth causes earthquakes and the sun to turn black and the moon to turn blood red. Oh my gosh, speaking of the blood moon, anytime. <laughs> speaking of, because you know, it's a common thing that's happened. We talk about it all the time. Yeah, no, well, just... they've happened. My family gets so scared because it's a mm-hmm. it's a sign of the end. I mean, we only got a few more to go before it's about to be the actual end. But between them and all of their congregation, never hear the end of it. Anytime I visit, they're like, we're going to go. That's go it. where? To the moon? So when oh. the blood moon <laughs> comes, they like gear up? Um, no, they just kind of have like a mini panic attack and then mm. they move on. Oh. They just wait to see if it ends. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's basically it. The 144,000 who are to be saved appear in equal number from the 12 tribes of Israel. Makes the math easy. Everything's divisible by 12. Then the seventh seal is opened and there's silence for half an hour in heaven. God just has like a timer. It's a cool down period. Yeah, everyone just sits, sits and waits. It's interesting because there's also silence for half an hour when Jesus dies. Oh, really? Yeah. The sun set, like the sun went down and it like it was, it was dark, blood. like dark was cast over and Jesus died. I'm and... sure John's using that, right? Huh. Yeah. 
Seven angels appear with trumpets and sound their trumpets, which causes calamity on earth. Trees and grass burn up. Mountains are overturned. A third of the sea turns to blood. The star Wormwood falls from the sky and poisons the world. What? Why Jacob loves Wormwood? C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, the screw tape letters are these letters between exactly a senior devil thinking. and a junior devil, <laughs> yeah. and the devil's name is Wormwood. Yep. Good old Wormwood. Uh, and a third of the sky's sun and moon turn dark. The fifth trumpet calls forth locusts from the abyss. Those are dressed like horses prepared for battle with scorpion stingers and human faces. Let's just think about that for a second. Okay. And they have their own commander, General Man-Faced Locust Horse McScorpion. That's his official title. Yep. What a it's man. not his actual name. What a man. His name is Biff. The sixth trumpet welcomes an army. Sorry. <laughs> Biff man-faced locust horse McScorpion. Um, the sixth trumpet welcomes an army led by four angels who kill a third of humanity with the sulfur that spills from their mouths. Rude. Also, they ride horses with tails like snakes. That's Bafflingly. Wow, you like that? That's that's kind of cool, though. Okay. I'll give them that. So that that's neat. It still sucks, though. Yeah. <laughs> As they're yeah. killing you, you're like, your oh, horse shit, is cool. super like, cool. Wow. Yeah. So your like, skin is just burning. <laughs> oh, wow, neat ride, dude. Neat ride. Cool snake. <laughs> neat ride. <laughs> Humanity in John's vision, however, is unmoved by these cataclysmic events. Makes no sense at all, but here we go. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. The righteous dead rise and walk to heaven, and an earthquake destroys more people. Significantly, this happens in the midst of what's often called today the Tribulation. Capital... Tribulation. When exactly the righteous living and the righteous dead make their way to heaven has been a subject for fierce debate since John first revealed his revealings. Finally, the seventh angel blows the seventh horn, announcing the dawn of God's kingdom on earth. But that wasn't the end of humanity's trouble back here on earth. In heaven, a woman gives birth to a king while a dragon waits to eat the child. But God saved the child, and Michael and the angels cast the dragon, who was really Satan all along, down to earth along with his angels. And the dragon, also known as Satan, pursued the woman who flew on eagle's wings to a place in the desert that God had prepared for her. A beast emerged from the ocean with mixed-matched animal parts who had been wounded by a sword but lived. Satan gave the beast power, and humans followed the beast for 42 months. Exactly. And another kind of beast, like a lamb and a dragon, came out of the earth to make people follow the first beast. We need two beasts, one beast to lead the people, one beast to make people follow the beast that wants to lead the people, hmm. and make them wear on their heads the mark of the beast. You guys, you know this. I'm not allowed to say it. You're not allowed to say those numbers. No. What if somebody's change is six dollars and sixty six cents? So that's happened before, and I get so scared. At Chick Fil A, remember the one time where it was Chick Fil A that was the change, and they gave it, they gave their order for free, and like added a lemonade on top. Yeah. 
people in the like when I worked even just at a normal restaurant, they would like get something else to change the price. Or at Walmart. Well, my family has gone out, and like it's been that for just like something small, and we will literally buy something else so that way it's not that. Yeah. Wow. God harvested the followers of these beasts with a great sickle and crushed them. Just plowing down (laughs) with a sickle. Like a wine press. Yeah. Like (laughs) the grapes of wrath, my friend. And seriously, though. And then seven angels poured out the seven bowls of God's wrath. And that went badly for people. Uh, At this point in the story, we meet the old whore of Babylon sitting next to me here. Uh, God comes uh, to destroy the whore. She rides a (laughs) scarlet beast in the desert and is drunk on the blood of saints and martyrs. So, yeah, Catholic Church. We love saints and martyrs. So God throws (laughs) the beasts and Satan into the lake of fire. The dead rise up and are judged, and death and Hades get tossed in the lake of fire, too. Because they're just chilling. Babylon is then destroyed, and at long last, God establishes heaven on earth. John concludes by warning everyone not to try and change anything about his prophecy. A warning that, as we'll find out, few believers take to heart. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes the words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. There's a lot of confusion about the meaning and history of Revelation, beginning with its authorship. One of the four gospel writers was also named John, identified as one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus himself. Early church fathers believed that the apostle John wrote Revelation. John was the son of Zebedee and Salome and brought his brother James along with him when he joined Jesus' ministry. You guys following all this? Mm-hmm. Legend holds that his brother James was the first apostle to die of martyrdom, and John is the only apostle to have died of natural causes, outliving James by 50 years. Now, there's some survivor guilt right there, Mm -hmm. right? Your brother's the first one to die, and you have the nerve to die (laughs) normally. All the apostles start ticking off, and you're just like... Hmm, I should probably go ahead and martyr, but uh, it's just (laughs) not happening for me. His mom's super cool, too. I love Salome. She's super neat. You don't really hear about her in scripture. She's more in church. What is that whole time she asked for John the Baptist's head, right? Different Salome. Different Salome. My different mom yeah. is really that's into a, Salome. That's a difference. She's really... uh, she's one that she was like helped the church as it went. Was like one of the she worked for the church, and she used running the bake sales. Yes, actually, though <laughs> I was about to say so. Actually, the women's group they yeah. used to talk about her. So a lot. she used oh, all of her figure. spices. Yeah. She used ba- everything that she bake could. Sales. She used everything that she could, and she put it at the service of the church. So even things that maybe didn't matter or seem silly, like her spices, like her food. Those were expensive back in the day, Yeah, though. her oils, everything. She, she yeah. poured out, all out, like, for the church and used them in every way that she can. So we follow her example by pouring everything we have out in service, even if it may seem like it's something that can't be used. Thanks for that bake sale, Salome. You're so, yeah. So. There were some church fathers who wondered whether John could have been the author given the incredible stylistic differences between Revelation and the Gospels. And scholars today tend to agree that the books had different authors just as they disagree about whether the Apostle was also the Gospel writer. To give you an idea of just how uncertain all this is, there's also a healthy share of doubt about whether the Apostle John was also the Gospel writer John. 
There may be three different Johns, one the Apostle, one the Gospel writer, and one St. John the Revelator. To put a finer point on it, it's more or less impossible to know the identity of Revelation's author for certain. It was probably some guy named John. John's a pretty popular name now. Why wouldn't it be, be then? Could be so many guys. <laughs> uh, so we can guess a few things about this John from the book itself. First, he knew his Old Testament well, making roughly 100 references to the older books of the Bible. John identifies as a prophet who has been shown God's plan for the end of the world, revealed to him directly by the divine powers in heaven. He writes from the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. Prophet wasn't just a divine calling at this time period, but it was also a church office at the time, like, you know, bishop or something. So John the Revelator appears to have disagreed with other prophets, notably Jezebel, Balaam, and Nicolaitans. 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 Hmm. Anyway, those three guys, two guys and a gal. They could all be women, as he wandered from church to church in the region of the Aegean Sea. So he brings up Jezebel probably because she's just like one of these prophets, which is a job like, you know, Baker. And she's saying stuff he doesn't like. The text is not meant to be merely decoded, but read for its evocations. Rome is the whore. But the whore is ascribed qualities like the murder of innocents that evoke a more pointed message. And as Riley's saying, now Roman Catholics are <laughs> the whore. But that certainly wouldn't have been the case when John was writing. Because there were no Roman Catholics at the time. <laughs> he was. <laughs> everyone, yeah, everyone was the same. <laughs> same, same people. So the beast who makes war on the lamb, uh, I, I, this is my favorite theory, might be Zombie Nero. Mm. <laughs> what? That's right. Zombie <laughs> Nero. So the Emperor Nero. <laughs> yeah. Right? Roman Emperor, last of the Julio-Claudian dynasty, <laughs> committed suicide in the year 68 AD when he was declared an enemy of the people and run out of Rome. <laughs> Follow me here he now. He did that. Okay. <laughs> he did do that. Okay, well, maybe. During his reign, he's like Elvis. During his reign... <laughs> Nero was popular among the lower classes, but very unpopular with the patricians, the higher class, ruling class people. He was an athlete and a performer and a musician known for executing his own mother for plotting against him and presided as emperor at the time of the great fire in Rome. Given his penchant for playing music, this is why he was blamed for fiddling while Rome burned. I was literally about <laughs> to fiddling. say, isn't that where this, that's where the tiny violin comes from? He's right? got his tiny violin. Uh, the fiddling referred to his incapacity or unwillingness to do anything about a fire that destroyed property, killed people, and incinerated priceless artifacts. He probably was not a great emperor. Nero tried to get out of the hot seat, no pun intended, by passing the blame on to the Christians. He had them thrown to the dogs, nailed to the crosses in his gardens, and he burned a few alive. Because, you know, fire. <laughs> Maybe that's how he started it in the first place. I don't know. A legend See developed... It's my favorite. St. Perpetua, one of the people she that he killed. You're She's still, super, you're super cool. St. <laughs> Perpetua and Felicity. Look him up. <laughs> Look That's up your, know your martyrs and your saints. Your know your martyrs. <laughs> know your martyrs. Uh, okay, so a legend developed that Nero was not in fact dead, but had gone away and would return with an army to attack and conquer Rome, like King Arthur or uh, Elvis. Astrologers <laughs> predicted that he would reign again in the east, arguably the Aegean Sea, where John was receiving his revelation. Three 
This is true. Three Nero impersonators emerged in the decades after his death to claim that they were zombie Nero returned to rule. (laughs) In Christian tradition, this transformed into the belief that Nero was the Antichrist who would return and lead an army against them. This may have been the actual Nero or an Antichrist taking the form of Nero. Well, we don't know. So it could have been like actual zombie Nero or like shapeshifter zombie Nero. (laughs) (laughs) I like the second one better. That sounds cooler. Right, because sometimes he's a rabbit. The number number of the, or like what all this other stuff, like a multi-parted eagle ox thing with a human face and a locust. He could be all of it. The number of the beast, 666, through the practice of numerology, actually equates to the same number conjured by the name Nero Caesar, which is his full name. That was on his birth certificate. A Roman emperor makes for a good antichrist because emperors demand a cult of worship, which spurs conflicted loyalties for Roman Christians. Domitian, the last of the Flavian emperors, or the line of Vespasian, was regarded by his detractors as one of the cruelest of emperors. Domitian was characterized as impaling flies for his amusement. The Romans love flies. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Do you How say do you love impale impaling? a fly? Toothpicks? They're so small. He's like a, he's like a, a martial arts. He's like a <laughs> kung fu. He's just throwing knives at flies? And he's got a toothpick and he could just he catch them in midair. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Got him. That's too much. Uh, Domitian was fond of flattery, but not especially fond of offering praise to anyone else. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Taurus. Like. And the, the rumor went, or the legend went, that he, if Domitian was praising you, it was only because he was about to execute you. That's beautiful. So he also had a seemingly insatiable sexual appetite, including for his own niece, Julia. Oh. Who he refused to marry, but then had an extended adulterous affair with after she married another man. Oh yikes! Oh, he Should've was one put of a those. Ring on yeah, he was. He had a cuck fetish, right? Is that what it is, kids? Yeah, he liked to well, cuck. Well, if the husband was watching them, what is, not what necessarily. Can't you just cuck? I feel like you that's can cuck. a part of it. As long as he knows, you can you cuck, cuck quietly. Mm-hmm. I feel like normally I... they like to watch. If they like <laughs> Never mind. To... <laughs> Invisible cucking. <laughs> Invisible cucking. <laughs> Domitian. Back to Domitian. Cuck or not to cuck. Domitian probably wasn't as awful as his enemies made him out to be, sorry, but these stories are fun, and they fed a kind of negative legend of him that John could have drawn on as he continued the cult to attack the cult of the emperor. That is to say, the fact that Domitian insisted Roman citizens worship him would have been true. The rest of it, I don't know, about him catching flies in midair on a toothpick, uh, That's maybe That's a lot. I don't know. <laughs> so... Some scholars interpret the first sword-wounded beast from the ocean as the emperor's representative arriving by boat in the region of the Aegean Sea, where John was doing his prophesizing, uh, and the beast from the earth as the people who carried on the imperial cult, so the people who worshipped the Roman emperor. So you put those two together, you got yourself an antichrist. So whether we're talking zombie Nero or actual Domitian, it's the cult of the emperor with its religious and political influence that was threatening Christendom when John was writing his revelation. Certainly we are no longer in those times politically. So let us jump forward in time, shall we? Because this episode can't be 400 hours long. Let's jump uh, about a thousand years to medieval Europe. You guys all right with that? Yep. Oh, you, just, oh, you have a sound for it. You just jump. In medieval Europe. We're there. I wow. see it. It's There's everywhere. The castles and the castles, ruins. People smelling. The trees. Not great. There's Onions. children dying. Children dying Play. at the age of four. Uh, <laughs> what a time. Rats. <laughs> 
I, I love it here. Um, let's have a festival. Let's have a fair and do this every year. Um, apocalyptic fervor was generally driven. Don't we do that? It was driven by the That's dispossessed. That's the Renaissance. I know, but it has nothing it to do with the Renaissance, like, right? Yeah, it's medieval times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, it was, but with like let's start fried a foods. It's all the Where same thing. Where we celebrate the auctioning off of young women. <laughs> and you witness it while eating turkey legs. And nobody has a fork. <laughs> it was better times, better times. <laughs> so, <laughs> apocalyptic fer- fervor in medieval Europe, where we all wish we were, uh, was driven by the dispossessed, people who had little or no land, unskilled workers, and beggars, of which there were a lot, as we are making fun of right now, I guess, because hashtag they can't respond. In class, you always <laughs> called them the turnip farmers. Right, the poor turnip farmer who can't enjoy having sex with his wife because he's so tired. He's been yeah. farming turnips all day. I'll never forget. The turnips <laughs> cucked him. <laughs> <laughs> they cucked her. Uh, <laughs> These people, these medieval people on the margins, <laughs> eagerly awaited a prophet to come and liberate them from their misery. But one of the most interesting interpretations of the apocalypse did not come from this class of people, but rather from the intelligentsia, namely Joachim of Fiore. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Uh, who lived in 12th century Italy. Fiore was working as a clerk for the Archbishop of Palermo when he decided to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. On this journey, he had a vision. An angel attempted to show him a book narrating the events of the end times. But Fiore couldn't understand it. The angel was like, look, it's right here. He's like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. I speak Italian. Nevertheless, this vision convinced him to devote his life from that point forward to spiritual pursuits. And he spent the next three years as a hermit before joining the priesthood. So he's basically like very frustrated that he couldn't have read the book. So he's going to just devote himself to being able to figure it out if the angel ever shows up again. He's like, read this. He studied Revelation, and after a turn as the abbot of the monastery at Corazzo, devoted himself fully to his writing, employing three scribes to keep up with his dictation. So, you know, he's doing pretty well. He's busy. Right, he's got three scribes. I can't do that. I can't afford that. How many scribes do you have? Three right now, actually. (laughs) Ooh. He got you. I guess he got us. I'm not writing shit. I don't know what you're talking about. This is the modern version. He grades my shit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, podcasting is kind of... I am writing. So, drawing on Revelation, Fiore theorized six ages of suffering, followed by an age of rest, the millennium, and then a final stage of eternal rest. Oh, so after we rest, we have to eternally rest. Right. Yeah. Little rest, big rest. We don't just keep resting. You got that pre-nap. Yeah. Before the millennium, and then a a big nap after the millennium. But that's just like a sleep. Yeah. One whole sleep. Time is a construct. You can't argue with a medieval fiore. Nope. Just is is what it is. So the Antichrist would uh, rule during the Sixth Age, having been brought to Earth to start the new millennium. Fiore further split time into three epochs, that of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ah. The time of the Father was the time of the Old Testament. The Son dominated the era from the time of Christ through Fiore's own time with the Holy Spirit ushering a new epoch after the year 1200. You got me? So we've got uh, Old Testament times, Father times, uh, then we're in in Son times, and that's going to last until the Apocalypse, which will then be Holy Spirit times. The last epoch uh, would be a time of contemplation, not of great and momentous action. So right now we're doing a bunch of stuff, but we're going to quit doing things so we can just freaking rest. Think a little bit. Sounds a little bit like Buddhist heaven. It's also like the mother, the maiden, the crone. Oh, here you go. You're taking it to pagan town. 
Well, I mean, they have the a lot of things the that they kind of ended up at some point exchanging, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Believers in Joaquim of Fiore's vision came to ascribe to the notion uh, that the new epoch would begin in 1260, decades after Fiore's death, and practiced self-flagellation to prepare for the coming change. Because that's what you got to do. Your back has got to be good and scourged. Mm. <laughs> on it. <laughs> don't get on that. What is, I don't want to know what that don't means. Don't jump on it. Uh, when the apocalypse didn't come... His work. I don't. I'm thinking about. It. I shouldn't. Don't, when the apocalypse didn't come, <laughs> shouldn't have said that. When the apocalypse nope. didn't come, his work was condemned as heretical for putting too much separation between the figures of the Trinity. They can't have their own times because they're all the same times. So he gave the Trinity each their own time period, but you can't just do that because no. that puts them all in different spaces and they got to be in the same time. And also, said who said you could do that? Uh, Italy, Italian man, big Italian well, plus Fiore. Well, Riley can walk through Guy and behind him. Yeah, no he eats that, a big sandwich yeah, and puts the Trinity in different You can't just say, like, this is the time of one part of the Trinity and this is the time of the other, because that doesn't work that but way. But honestly, that's a lot of the um, Protestant denominations that I've grown up under. They kind of will they do that in a way so mm-hmm. they kind of do say that the time that we're living in right now is kind of dominated by the holy spirit mm-hmm. so, oh we're in holy spirit time yeah well, they it kept depends, so it depends it on depends on who ah. you're listening so to. when was the time of the sun just 30 years yeah so they they do say that that it was, was brief. when he was here on earth is when his okay. time and was. then mm-hmm. i guess the next time of the sun will be when he's here on earth again yeah all right mm-hmm. Let's move on, shall we, to America. America. William Blackstone is our main figure for this discussion. Uh, A person you may not have ever heard of, but who is actually pretty significant in the history, not just of Apocalypse, but of the world. So in America, apocalyptic passion has raged since before our founding. But in a new modern vision of the end times, uh, it picked up steam starting in the late 19th century, specifically 1878, when William Blackstone wrote his seminal book, Jesus is Coming, arguing for the excesses of the Gilded Age. He's saying, here we are in the Gilded Age. Isn't it excessive? (laughs) It's a good read. (laughs) (laughs) And this signals the fullness of evil. We've talked a bit about this, right? The fullness of evil signals the fullness of time. Uh, So because we're all gilded and stuff, and everyone's so uh, fancy pants and walking around with their guilds, uh, it's just evil. It's so evil. All oh, there's all that Victorian porn, and there's reconstruction in the South that isn't going well, and there's like railroads. So, so Get the apocalypse is coming. Yeah. So over a million copies of this book were sold, and the book was translated into forty-eight languages. Wow. Yeah, we're laughing, but. No, but that's incredible. It's, it's a good read. <laughs> oh, no, I not, read it. It's not no, a good It's not, but no, you should no, read it if you want. No, but it's incredible that it was that. I mean, yeah. it's actually not that bad because there's a lot of footnotes, so yeah. there won't be pages that just have eight lines. Have you read this? I have. So my dad no has it on way. the shelf. What? Yeah. My <laughs> God, I'd never put myself there. <laughs> Riley would so Jake, never. So there are two people on this podcast who have read Jesus is Coming. Yeah, it was more of like a, I walked into my dad's office, which has a bunch of holy books like that per se quote unquote um don't call them holy he would not like that who i said quotes oh, oh my dad my dad doesn't never mind anyways uh there's only one holy book go ahead <laughs> I, 
Are you shading my dad? Yes. No, he, I think anyways, that's what your dad would oh, say. Oh, yeah, no, he would. The point you're trying to make, Jacob, is... Yes, he he has that book. And, and you I, picked it up and read it. I did. Why? Because <laughs> he said, read this. Oh, <laughs> he told you, you must read this. Yeah. Did you read all the footnotes? <laughs> all of them? I skipped every one of them. I no. have no need for because it's just like Bible passages that he quotes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then he said, the blood moon is coming. Well... The apocalyptic trends of the second half of the 18th century may have reached peak evil in Blackstone's estimation, but there were also positive changes that also spelled the end. Rail travel, for example, and public education. I'm not kidding. As well as the power of the telegraph and telephone. Was your dad concerned about tele- telegraphic and uh, communication? Oh there for a bit, yeah. We All weren't allowed to SOSing? use SOSing? Yeah. Oh. oh, no. He, he took it to like... <laughs> there was a hot you, second. Did you wear a bonnet? Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> When so, I first met Jacob, I was, was churning butter. <laughs> he was churning. <laughs> that is true. So all of the speeding of communication via telegraph and telephone were a fulfillment of prophecy in Blackstone's estimation. As I've pointed out before on this podcast, rapid change inspires apocalyptic vision. Edison, Tesla, and the revolution they introduced through the harnessing of electricity were part of a rapid technological shift in the Western world that was taking place in the 1870s. This led to widespread anxiety over the power and danger of electricity, which in turn spurred visions of apocalypse. Blackstone saw the seeds of World War I in the massing of large armies organized under the influence of a nationalist fervor across Europe. Think Napoleon. Back home in America, the election of Rutherford B. Hayes, a person who was president, but who you're all hearing about for the first time now, uh, was apparently, and this was news to me, I have not studied Rutherford B. Hayes in any length, and I'm actually an expert on 1870s culture, uh, but I could could care less about Rutherford B. Hayes. <laughs> so his election was the conclusion of a dispute over electoral college votes, a not especially legitimate or de- democratic way to elect a president that brought an abrupt end to Reconstruction in the South and had lasting repercussions for America's recovery from the scourge of slavery. So basically, Hayes was elected after we uh, fought over how the electoral college was voting. He's not the one that died from pneumonia, right? Which one? No, no I don't that's think Harrison. so. That's Harrison, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. But yeah, he, he was basically elected like George Bush the second. Oh. But even like worse. I think it was over whether how the Electoral College voted and who got to vote and it was there was a whole thing. Who was after him? Yeah, he, he just didn't win by enough. No, I just meant who was the After oh, Rutherford. He yeah, he didn't win by he oh. was he was post Ulysses S. Grant. Oh, okay. Anyway. As was fairly common of Christians of the period, Blackstone called out spiritualism as the work of the devil on earth. Spiritualism's Christian detractors shared in common the belief that their phenomena were not the product of fraud as their scientific detractors believed, but very real and very dangerous. So, also the ghosts of the dead are talking to us from 1850 to 1870. That's really upsetting if you're a Christian. They shouldn't be here. (laughs) Let's hear from Blackstone. Modern spiritualism is by no means mere trickery. There is plenty of fraud and deception that requires darkened rooms and suspicious cabinets. But there are also unquestionable mysteries and spirit manifestations, demons that long to possess the bodies of men, wicked spirits which love darkness rather than light. It is a definite sign of the times. Blackstone notes that, historically, American economic depressions had been followed by a religious revival, but that the recent depression, brought on more or less by America's robber barons scheming against each other and attempting to defraud the government, had not brought on the same sort of enthusiasm. 
So every time we run out of money, we turn to God. But this time, Blackstone's looking around, and we just ran out of money, and everyone's like, nope, I'm good. And he's like, oh, oh, that's not good. That's surely a sign of bad things. Christians, he said, have lost their way. Catholics, for example, worship Mary in place of Christ. And this is true, he says, kiss the toe of an image of Agrippina and Nero. What in? That doesn't even make sense. It's wildly specific, right? I don't right? know who that is. Agrippina is Nero's mother. You have no mother. reason to know. Okay, so <laughs> so this is a, so we know who Nero is. We just talked yeah, about him, right? Agrippina was his mother. So uh, this very specific and very unusual example of apostasy referred to a statue in Rome of a woman and child that Protestants argued was the Emperor Nero with his mother, and Catholics believed was Mary. yeah Mary and Jesus, right? So it's not, yeah, it's not really that Catholics are intentionally blaspheming, even if they are wrong about what the statue is. They think it's Mary and Jesus, but but Blackstone's like, well, they're kissing Nero. (laughs) Zombie Nero. No, he doesn't say that. Uh, (laughs) He's in the background staring at them as they're doing it. We do have a statue of zombie Nero, but... That's either here or there. But we don't kiss him. But we don't don't kiss kiss him. You just lick it a little. Yeah. (laughs) The elbow. And only on certain days. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. In other signs of the end times, the gospel had been spread to every corner of the world. So that, like, gives us a pass, right? So now that we've spread the gospel far enough, we can't claim that anyone hasn't heard it. This is totally not true in 1878. There are still corners of the world we have not accessed. Blackstone is. Like a lot. Right. Oh, definitely. Like deep in the Amazon. There's all sorts of islands in Indonesia. But never mind. Never mind them. Everyone's heard about Jesus. Um, and the Jews were about to. Now, here's where things get really interesting. About to make their long foretold return to Israel. You remember this, Jacob, from the book? Yeah. Okay, so in 1891, Blackstone worked to make this last prediction actually happen. This is true. Enlisting the help of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, the Speaker of the House, and the President, as well as journalists and corporate barons, John D. Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan. What? All these people tried to put the Jews back in Israel. (laughs) This is my favorite part. Yes, yes. So, his actual vision of the apocalypse begins with a differentiation between the rapture and the revelation. The rapture, he says, now Riley, I think you're going to have to say about this, but we'll, we'll see. The rapture could come at any moment, bringing the church up to the bosom of Christ. But the revelation, the arrival of Christ on earth, can happen only after the Antichrist has been revealed. The Watchful and prayerful believers escape the tribulation, capital trib, brought on by the Antichrist when they are whisked up to heaven. So if you've been real good, you don't have to deal with this whole Antichrist nonsense. You get taken first. Or you also have people that are the other way around, and they believe that the rapture happens. And then... um, and then you have the a thousand years of good times. So Jesus times. comes yeah. and he instills his kingdom on earth. And then it's a thousand years of happy. Well, that sounds fun. And then you get to come up to heaven. Well, where's the Antichrist and all that? Where is the Antichrist? Oh, it's before Jesus comes. <laughs> yeah. Where does he go? In? So you're, everyone's going to be here for the Limited Antichrist. Limited to Iceland. That's what they're so all. He, he becomes. So, sorry, there's so many theories on this. It, it hurts my head. But so the Antichrist comes. And it's and it's chaos. Then Jesus comes, 
gets rid of the Antichrist and then wow. says a thousand years of good mm-hmm. times and everyone's Christian. And then everyone gets to come to <laughs> Everyone. Something to look forward to, Olivia. Damn. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so uh, this is what, what we're talking about here with the rapture, then tribulation, is a version of rapture that's pretty uniquely American. Uh, and it focuses on just a few lines of the text. Although, if you talk to people who believe this, they're going to cite a bunch more that don't actually get to the point at all. <laughs> it's only these couple of lines that we base this all on. In John's actual vision, the righteous aren't drawn up to heaven until after Satan is bound. Right? So we got to bound up Satan, then we can rapture everybody. But So that means even good people lived through a whole lot of nonsense. Okay. That's our belief, too. That's it's your Catholic version. Well, that right now... Satan is bound. Yeah. So, like, we're living right now, and that the thousand years of good times that they oh, say is happening. They at... say that we're in the thousand years of good times, whereas huh. a lot of Protestants take it that everyone's going to be Christian, whereas our tradition and our dogma is that good and evil have always kind of lived together, and that they've always kind of coexisted, and that they will continue to coexist. So, right now, um, are the good times because. Like, we're able to spread the gospel. Like, Christians are able to live ah, semi-peacefully. Um, yes, and yeah. you, that's and so we're not being stopped by Satan. But then mm. there will come a time when we're no longer able to do that, and Christians undergo extreme persecution. Antichrist. Yes. And so right now, we're in the good times. We're in the good times. Yeah. Nice. Except that's in certain good. parts of the world. Yeah. So that's why other Christians then decide to say. Yeah. Okay, so John does make mention of something like a rapture in his letters preceding the vision, though. As with so many religious texts, this leaves some room for interpretation, which, again, John really doesn't want us to do, and that can result in a lot of confusion. So let's hear from John. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. All right, so that's the one line that says you promises you'll be raptured before it all goes to hell. But otherwise, if you the rest of the book says it's going to go to hell first. Yes, and see, then you got to deal with it. My well, how I grew up, they believe that they're going to go first before all the bad stuff happens. So they're just we believe that the ultimate bad is separation from God. So that like we'll be here for the persecution, but like when it literally all goes to hell. And you'll, and you'll be, yeah. Yes. We, like, never talked about the rapture in the Methodist church. I really? don't know if that's it's probably common. for the best. We don't, but I don't, we don't remember. Really, we don't really talk about this in either. In the Methodist like, church, because I grew up Methodist before Pentecostal, um, we talked about it I don't a decent remember, amount. like, ever, because I always wanted amount. to. A decent amount. No, like, I was always every fourth Sunday. Ready to talk pretty, about no, like, it in, I'm 25%. Bible study, like, we <laughs> they would never bring it up, like, occasionally, yeah. I would say, if you brought in... Honestly, 90% of Catholics in here, they wouldn't really be able to tell you about it. <laughs> huh. really? I, I, I know well, a, good a good amount thing of things. It's a good thing we're doing this podcast. Yeah, it's a, I know yeah, a good amount learning. of things, <laughs> but like this just is not something we talk about because it's oh. not also other, like the people outside with the science, they're so freaked out about it. Uh. They're freaked out about it. Whereas for us, we're just not. Like it's like great. So I want to let our listeners know that Riley is talking literally about people with signs on our campus. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, some, I would would suspect, born-again Christians Mm -hmm. who arrived with signs telling us that the apocalypse was uh, imminent, I think, within months. The Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. 
They were actually here. Oh yeah, they yeah. were right on campus. They oh my god, outside, they have, it's a state institution, so yeah, they have so they freedom of, ch- of speech here. They stand outside of our church a lot. So like on Sundays when you come out of mass, mm-hmm. they'll have their signs in there. Make See, that's just rude. Like but right outside of church. It's so funny it's too because they are the most. They're really most concerned with us. Like mm-hmm. Brie and I were talking, and she's <laughs> like, if I were be. to tell them that she was like, if I were to tell them that I was a pagan, they wouldn't have cared as much about then about well, like you right. being a Catholic. I've told you before that. I mean, again, it's it's weird, but growing up, my family would not let me associate with Catholics because there's just, I, I don't know if there's like a stigma or whatever against it, but like I just was not allowed to have any Catholic friends. Poor of Babylon. Yeah. I will ultimately... Uh, but also, they don't think that way anymore, so <laughs> I don't want to like... <laughs> well, I mean, this, yeah. the thing is, I mean, this is just like a human thing, though. Yeah. You know, we don't get to... Like, sometimes, you know, just in podcasting, right? We'll get wound up about a podcast that's being done poorly. Mm-hmm. But a YouTube channel, we're like, yeah, whatever. It's, it's the same idea. Yeah. Because you're both Christians... That's why the born again gets yep. really upset at yeah. the Catholic rather than a Hindu. They're like, yeah, whatever. You're, you're like in your own exactly. world there. Well, it's because we are distorting their truth. What they believe is the truth. We are taking it and distorting it. Because they think it's like you're turning the word of God yes. is kind of one thing that we Even though we were the original ones. Yeah, no, no, to be fair, you are correct. Truth. I'm not, sorry, this is not the point. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a, we can really do it with anything, yeah. right? Yes. Theater, whatever. But in, in podcasts, right, they're, they're using the form <laughs> inappropriately mm-hmm. Because they're not doing good research, or, or I don't know, the, yeah. the, it's the voices aren't good. Whatever, we really don't want to do voices, but uh, it, but a YouTube channel, I'm like, yeah, those people are just crazy. <laughs> it's just, that's where all the nut jobs are. We don't have to worry about them. But a podcast, you should be responsible. And, yeah. Anyway, so. A subset of American preachers going back to Cotton and Mather invented what's called a premillennialist tradition in which the church is plucked up, rescued before the apocalyptic tribulations of the Antichrist begin. These are the first to be saved, but others will be saved when they return to Christ as a result of experiencing the tribulations. These ideas were really revived and brought into the modern day where they were frequently held by, as we're talking about, all these contemporary American Bible Belt Christians and born-again Christians because of, now this is interesting, a 19th century British guy, John Nelson Darby, who followed Fiore's ideas in arguing that there were seven phases of human history, adding that the final phase would end in tribulation and apocalypse. So they just picked that right up and ran with it. And he's really the reason that this little tiny sect of, um, like this tiny little theory really became a a big deal. It's still, it's not a huge deal today, but it's the reason it took off. Way to go, Darby. <laughs> it's my mother-in-law's dog, actually. I had uh, a friend in high school named Darby. Named, oh, That's so a dog? sad. No, she was yeah. a human. This was a dog. <laughs> this is a dog. Most importantly for Blackstone's version of events, the Jews gathered in Israel will turn to Christ, who will bring light to their darkest of days. In the first restoration, because of their blindness and hard, stony hearts, they rejected and killed Jesus. But in the future, restoration, they shall repent all of this, and they have clean hearts, and accept of Christ, who will be their king. It's worth noting that America's first Jewish Supreme Court Justice, Louis Brandeis, who fought a bruising, sometimes anti-Semitic confirmation battle, brought William Blackstone back into the center of power two and a half decades after his first Zionist fundraising efforts in 1891. In 1916, Brandeis helped revive Blackstone's fund to reestablish Israel as a Jewish state. 
Jewish Zionists, and these are people who believe in the necessity of the Jews' return to the Holy Land, were willing to look past Blackstone's conviction that they would ultimately be converted to Christianity <laughs> and accept him as a fellow champion of the cause. In a way, this was understandable. Judaism holds that a future Messiah is coming. Blackstone simply believes that this Messiah is Jesus Christ, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know... Six of one, half dozen of the other. The symbolism, the symbolism, I mean, they weren't bothered by it. They just went along with it. The symbolism in Revelation regarding Israel turns around the woman who gives birth and the dragon who pursues her. Remember that lady? Revelations 12. There it is. Welcome. (laughs) Nice. Jacob, you are amazing. Thank you. Uh, This woman uh, could be Mary giving birth to the church militant, capital C, capital M, or the church itself, or Israel. Capital Israel. Mormons believe that it is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints <laughs> that she's giving birth to. Uh, if it is Israel, so I just wanted to put that in there. And it's like the perfect then then morph into the Book of Mormon. It's like leaves you on right, a cliffhanger. It's like and, what's going to happen? Uh... Joseph Smith knows. Uh, <laughs> of course. He hello does. to all our Mormon listeners. We do have Mormon listeners. Do we really? Greetings, Mormon listeners. Yes, we, do. we have atheist listeners. We have listeners of all stripes because this is this is a round table. Right. Yeah. Look, if you look around, brought together a Catholic. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And Olivia. That's well. No, that's why I was moving to you because it's 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 blurred. Yeah, y'all are talking about being persecuted, and I'm like making a tallied list in my head of how many times I've been confronted by strangers for (laughs) no reason in public. Well, at least you have all those friends on Instagram now from the podcast. That'll make you feel better. Blackheart. (laughs) Blackheart. What were we talking about? The tribulation... Hi, Mormons. The tribulation in Blackstones, as well as many others' version of Apocalypse, is largely the work of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be known as one who denies both God, the Father, and Christ, the Son. The Jews, who will have occupied Israel, will make a treaty with this Antichrist. He will put himself above God, demanding worship and sitting in God's rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, thanks for building that for me, and come to rule the world. Blackstone dismisses previous theories about the Antichrist that it was the Pope or Muhammad, for example. We know, says Blackstone, these people are not the Antichrist, because the Antichrist will be revealed after the rapture. They were, you know, all all kinds of before. Blackstone translates the Antichrist as the lawless one and points to the unholy trinity of, you're going to love this, socialism, socialism, uh, nihilism, and anarchism as systems in favor of lawlessness. Wait, so, I'm sorry, did you say that he thought the Antichrist was going to come after the rapture? It It was going to be revealed revealed after the rapture. What would be the point? Because all the good people are gone, and uh, now we can go ahead and uh, be visited with all sorts of horrors. Oh, Whoa. oh, so that he's going to torture God's not going to start the horror movie until no. all the good kids Whoa. have been ushered the out of the movie of the theater. the Antichrist was more... He's not just going to, like, bam, he shows up. Well, kind of. So he's, he's, like, making his way in, and then kind of, like, behind the scenes, quote-unquote. And then, once all the good is, you know... Oh, okay. That's when he like, makes his grand entrance. But I've been here all along. Oh, no. oh, okay. I thought he but just, all the like, good people are already after. gone. It's me. <laughs> Francis whips off his cloaks. <laughs> oh, no. Gotcha. Oh, no. <laughs> My parents were right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, back to socialism, nihilism, and anarchism. Socialism, among those three, 
Right, nihilism, anarchism. Okay, I got you there, Blackstone. But socialism. A lot of people in this country would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So socialism is kind of the weird one in the mix. Uh, But the capitalist Blackstone believes these forces are harbingers of the Antichrist's imminent arrival. In the very midst of the scene, lawlessness lifts its hydra head. Capital cringes before the coming revenge of labor. Men's hearts fail them for the fear of the things that be coming on the earth. In a somewhat contradictory tone, Blackstone argues that the accumulation of wealth in the hands of a few rich men, namely America's famous robber barons, which we've talked about, was another sign of the fullness of evil in the end times. So bad for people to have a lot of money, but also bad for labor to rise up. His theology bemoans socialism, attacks the unequal accumulation of capital among the 1%. The meek should inherit the earth, but they shouldn't do it by raising taxes or demanding higher wages. (laughs) Thanks, Blackstone. Uh, so I don't, I don't dislike this guy necessarily. He's a funky character. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he's driven. He is, and, and ultimately, he is. Ultimately, he's at least partially responsible for the nation of Israel. <laughs> like <laughs> for real, back. send them back. Right. He gets this. He keeps this idea going for decades, and it's only the 1940s, right after mm-hmm. World War II, when this coalesces. So we're not that far off in Blackstone's time period. He's often, people in Israel credit him in part with the formation of the state of Israel. Blackstone is just such a... Just a normal guy. Normal ass name. It's like Could be William. a pagan. It does sound Billy Blackstone. Pagan. <laughs> Billy Blackstone. <laughs> Let's move to contemporary America. You guys are going to love this. Let's go. If we move into the 20th century, well, you got to begin with America's preacher, Billy Graham, who often kept the apocalypse in his back pocket as a theme he didn't lean on, but that he could pull out as he needed. (laughs) Also known as the Protestant Pope. Oh! (laughs) Okay. Billy Graham. That that is blasphemous. (laughs) Sometimes he'd predict that the end times were imminent. Other times he'd vaguely speak about them coming in one or two or five or ten years, but sometimes. He preached that humanity could pull itself back from the brink of apocalypse through belief and righteous living. In 1965, he wrote World Aflame and named the signs he'd noted of the fullness of evil and the fullness of time in the world. They were hydrogen bombs, a growing population, rising crime rates, sexual perversion, homosexuality that's me yeah that you get your own did you think you were sexual perversion no you get your own special well. one <laughs> check. substance abu- check. the rest of us are sexual perversion yeah sorry check you got yours we got ours i guess uh, also a growing population right that's you for the substance <laughs> abuse <laughs> Political turmoil and a lack of true faith. Communism was also a scourge visited on the West as a punishment for its sins. Do not expect me to fall in with the evil customs and ways of the world. I am in Rome, but I will not do as Rome does. I'm an alien, a stranger, and a foreigner. My citizenship is in heaven. The Vietnam War, which Graham supported, was the surest sign of this punishment. The Cold War made evangelicals feel like a reckoning uh, in the form of an atomic doomsday was imminent, and only God could rescue humanity from itself. Olivia, you're going to like this. Feminism was another sign of the apocalypse, with traditional households breaking down as women went off to work and started wearing the man pants. Hell yeah. Throw those pantyhose away, ladies. 
This gets even weirder, and I want our listeners to stay with me because Graham was not a racist, but... Oh, no. That, whenever you have to say... I know. Not racist, but... The civil rights movement also fell on the list because he believed that racial harmony could only be achieved through a shared love of Christ and not through legislative means. Only people filled with Christ's compassion could rescue America from a race war. There was also some objection to the federal government rather than the state government accomplishing integration. Segregation and racial hatred was a sin. So, see, not Mm -hmm. a racist, but a sin the states should resolve, not the federal government. Apparently, this is something God had feelings about. (laughs) This isn't to say evangelicals always opposed federal intervention. Little bit of a hypocrisy here. On (laughs) questions of divorce and homosexuality, they were really okay with federal control. For their part, black evangelical preachers saw things a little bit differently than the good (laughs) Reverend Billy Graham. According to the black church, white resistance to the civil rights movement was itself a sign of the apocalypse. So take that. Ah, Moving on from Billy Graham. (laughs) So many things. Unless you got anything to say about the good Reverend Billy Graham. But here comes Hal. Hal Lindsay's on his way. He's no. So let's go to the late great planet Earth, shall we? Hal Lindsey predicts, echoing William Blackstone, that the resettlement of the Jews in Israel, which has happened now or in modern America, presages the apocalypse. When the Jews rebuilt the temple on the site currently occupied by the Muslim holy site, the Dome of the Rock, that would be the final realization of biblical prophecy. This, Lindsey said, would take place in 1988. Crickets. The late great... Like, what was happening in 1988? You know, there was Reagan. Was Reagan oh, in and around? Well, I guess. Check. <laughs> yeah, I think we enough. were we were switching from Reagan to Bush in '88, right? So I yeah. was not there. I'm not sure. No. Ladies still had the Bush. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? <laughs> yeah, the late great planet Earth was the best-selling non-fiction. You guess what was going on in 1988? Shoulder pads. Shoulder uh, pads. Big phones. Not big only phones. were the not only were the pants on, but the shoulder pads were in. So feminism is a right. swing. Uh, <laughs> Billy Joel. Billy Joel, right. <laughs> All right, well. Kaja Gugu. The, <laughs> the late great planet Earth was the best-selling non-fiction book of the 1970s, selling 7 million copies, and a film adaptation was actually narrated oh. by Orson Welles. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, you Lindsay should watch f- it. <laughs> you go home and get it on I'm YouTube. Not, I'm not going to watch <laughs> it. Lindsay uh, followed up. I'm sure it's on Netflix. Lindsay followed up with a second book pointing to the rise of Islam and the increasing incidences of, and I'm not kidding here, UFO sightings and abductions as signs oh. that the end was imminent. It is my opinion that UFOs are real and that there will be proven close encounters of the third kind soon. And I believe that the source of this phenomenon is some type of fallen alien being of great power and intelligence. According to the Bible, a demon is a spiritual personality in a state of war with God. Prophecy tells us that demons will be allowed to use their powers of deception and deceit in a grand way during the last days of history. I believe these demons will stage a spacecraft landing on Earth. They will claim to be from another advanced culture in another galaxy. They may even claim to have planted human life on this planet and tell us they are here to check our progress. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, this is all just taking me back. I'm there. When you raid Area 51 and Hal Lindsay's there. Right, there he is. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like, I knew it. <laughs> Did you really talk about UFOs, Jacob? There, in church? Yeah. There was a brief, yes. There was a UFO time? I've been to so many different churches. Oh, so there's UFO church, and there's rapture church, and yeah. church for everything. Yeah. My church was church. boring. You should, you should have came to church with my family. Oh, my gosh. That would have. You still they can. They would have loved me in church. They would have yeah. loved me <laughs> if I brought you. I love going to churches, but let's switch to Tim LaHaye, shall we? Mm. Uh, we got to get to Tim LaHaye. You know this guy, Jacob? Uh, yes. Yes. Very famous guy. Yeah. He, he is. Uh, San Diego minister, argued that World War One was the beginning of the end times, and that yep. the rapture would take place before the last of the generation alive during that war had died. I mean, it's, swing and a miss. It's valid though. Like I understand <laughs> really if, if the you're in the middle one, of World but... War One. Like, well, I think that's... That like, feels to be, to pretty be apocalyptic. Like, yeah, I mean, it's we don't... not World War II, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. like, like literally the world has erupted into chaos and war, then, yeah, that feels pretty... Everyone's mm-hmm. dying. That's a little... Pretty apocalypse. Yeah. So by the 1990s, LaHaye had sold millions of nonfiction books, but he really wanted to break into the fiction market. Guys? He wrote an outline <laughs> for a novel on how the events of Revelation would play out if they took place in modern America, which the writer Jerry Jenkins transformed into a full story called Left Behind. Awesome movies. Uh, we're well. going to get there. We're going to get there. <laughs> I have actually read the first Left Behind book. I read it in college. I had a Jewish professor of popular literature who uh, made us read this There's book. There's so many of them. Yeah. So many. Oh, yes. We're getting there, too. This was the first in a series of 16, Jacob. Yeah. The total was 16. <laughs> you have? I have. That's a commitment. What? I did a book report on them when I was in middle school. It was also spun off. Let's see if you've read all of this. Into a 40-volume youth series, <laughs> graphic novels, and a niche series for people in the military. <laughs> Did not know that oh, one. Okay. But, yeah. okay. <laughs> I don't know why they need a special version, but maybe more military characters. There's also a great book called Left Behind that has nothing to do with this. It's a Catholic book, but mm. it's really good. So it's about a woman in the Rwandan genocide. A woman oh, that I know. That sounds far wrote, more serious. It's really good. Left Behind. Yeah, because her whole family was murdered. What's her name? Oh, Immaculate Ilbegiza. She lives here now. I've spoken with her a few times, but she. El- El- Immaculate Ilbegiza. And she lived... Help us with the last name. People want Ili to read it. Okay. So I-L-I-B-A-G-I-Z-A. But if you look it up. Okay. But she lived in a bathroom with like six other women for like eight months. So when you look up left behind, just scroll down a little bit from the LaHaye book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's an... It, you will... I read it in a day and I, then I read it the next day too. So it's hmm. a cool book. I don't... I just, Check it I out. Wanna, I want to spread the news about that book. So I'm going to... Here you are. I'm this is your shot. Plugging plug, Immaculate. Plug. Oh, no. The plugs are open again. Oh, no. ah, <laughs> how did that happen? Close the plugs. Close the seals. Uh, the th- four plugs of the apocalypse. So, uh, following the Gulf War... Uh, okay, so where, what am I talking about? A Left Behind begins in the American premillennialist tradition with the rapture and follows the ensuing conflict between the Antichrist, the Romanian UN Secretary General, Nicolae Carpathia... <laughs> and a Christian tribulation force. I didn't know his name would come out that way when I said it, but I'm delighted. I've never That's seen how they Romanian. say it. <laughs> I've never Nicolai. seen it. That doesn't seem like a Romanian name. Nicolae Carpathia? That seems pretty Romanian. Romanian. It is in the... Uh, Have you been to Romania? No, that is true. You've <laughs> been. spent time in Romania. Anyway, I'm just a fan. Romanian. <laughs> just a Romanian. I'm just a fan. If you're going to be a UN secretary most... general in Romania, you gotta, you've got to find this guy. Yeah. Yeah. The world's most useless language that so, I So, oh. <laughs> not, I mean, re- who else speaks Romanian? I don't, not me. Romanian. one person who's Romanian. Romanian that's true. Big. Our Romanian listener just tuned out. Yeah. Mm. Oh, no, come back. I speak Romanian. <laughs> Talk to me. 
<laughs> following that they can't it no doesn't work can. that way uh following the gulf war iraq began to figure into american apocalyptic visions and so carpathia moves the un to babylon where he establishes a new organization global community gc in israel the antichrist targets the jews who have recently converted to christianity but god intervenes and protects them the jews who do not convert are massacred in a new holocaust ouch I got to tell you, these books were the best-selling series in the Western world for two decades until Harry Potter knocked them from the top in a kind of pagan inversion of history. Yeah, we come back. <laughs> in a it's cuddly, not even like, pagan. Yeah, it's so <laughs> not. But it's, it's the closest. Get yeah. mainstream. <laughs> yeah. Right. Over sixty-three million copies were sold. Sixty-three million in my school. We literally had about. I think there is seven or eight of each of the books. Like Half of them were just sold to Jacob's school. Was it yeah. like required reading? Tolkien is required Actually, reading in the, a lot of Catholic schools. The first yeah. one was required reading for one of our summer readings. And uh, getting, they made hundreds of million, hundred million dollars in royalties. Lahaye and Jenkins, and uh, now Jacob Kirk Cameron, <laughs> he, our top actor, <laughs> yes, of, of your him. people. I, oh my your gosh, spokesman. he's our spokesman. <laughs> well, for the longest like time, like Tom Cruise, from yeah. 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 yeah, no, like if you would go to pretty not any Protestant church, but you know, probably everyone knew who him. Kirk Cameron was. You like got, no matter where you went. Uh, Stephen Colbert. You got Colbert. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty good. He's that's oh, not, yeah, not too right. shabby. He's super, he's, uh, All in. He's actually really, he's super yeah, he's very Catholic. Catholic. Yeah. He was one of like nine children, right? Yeah. So, uh, Kirk Cameron, mm-hmm. I just said his name and we all erupted. Uh, he starred in a <laughs> film he, version of my books. Man. That's what happens when you hear that guy. <laughs> uh, the, the film was so bad, Jacob, that LaHaye unsuccessfully sued the production company for damaging his franchise. Oh. I had no idea yeah, about that, actually. That, right? <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> The books became so popular that Madeleine Albright, Secretary of State under President Clinton, worried that they would negatively impact her work with the UN, vilified as a tool of the Antichrist in the books, and make it difficult to establish peace in the Middle East, because that's where the Antichrist sets up all this stuff. You know, justified. Right. LaHaye has used his vast resources the hundred millions, to fund a center for the study of creation science, number one, another center to study premillennialism, number two, and he's wrote self-help and marriage books, and get this, a Christian sex primer. That's got to be hot. Right? How do I get in what? that? Or I so, kind of want to really read that. You can just that. look that up. I want to read that. it. In the book, looking mm, Look up LaHaye. You're going to have to no. scroll through a lot So, like, of... if your parents are, like, you know, your parents wouldn't want to talk to you about it. So if they don't have to, they can just... You can buy his book. Oh. <laughs> yeah, my LaHaye parents never you. gave me the talk. Mine didn't either. My parents gave me the talk. So though huh. uh, LaHaye is... Not, there you go, Catholics. So though not as... <laughs> you won. Not as famous as Billy Graham. Uh, LaHaye's apocalyptic vision has actually had an unrivaled impact, not just on evangelical Christianity, but actually on the wide world. Let's get to some theory here, shall we? Let's do some analysis. Analysis. Was I supposed to cheer? No, I just liked that J- Jacob made a sound. I'm going to accept that. I don't need you to. I got Jacob. Oh, well, I'm taking I'll over. Just leave this whole. Um, so I'm Leonard Thompson, who is no relation to me, <laughs> good old Leonard Thompson, offers us three ways of looking at the origins of apocalyptic visions. In the first, they come out of times of crisis to help people keep faith in their beliefs and traditions. Groups give up hope on this world, which seems to have turned against them, and so they turn to the next one for comfort. 
A second version, there's a particular people whose worldview is focused on divine transcendence. So there are a couple of ways we can view apocalypse. The first one, yes, is that we've given up hope and we need the apocalypse to hope for just like what's happening next. <laughs> In this other interpretation, there's just people who are always focused <laughs> on the divine and on what's happening next outside of this world. So there's no event in particular or series of events that causes their visions. They're just more inclined to apocalyptic visions in the first place. There's a third way that sort of compromises these two. In this one, apocalyptic visions are the product of a perceived crisis. We think there's a crisis, and that crisis may only be in our heads, or, or it may be real. Could go either way. Because we could look at right now and be like, we are in a crisis. Or like Riley, we could be in the thousand years of greatness. I just told my class on Monday that uh, I agree with the Dadaists that we are in the worst of times and that we are on the verge of uh, mass extinction. Times aren't great. Uh, so <laughs> I also, agree. the thousand years doesn't mean a thousand years. No, uh, just like fifteen. It's a bunch. A bunch of years. It's a bunch. <laughs> seven. Yeah. It's, it's only seven. Seven, it's, seven it's years. It's said a lot in the Bible, like two Peter two, where it's like remember, where he talks about the rapture, mm -hmm. and he goes, remember, uh, to God, a thousand years is a day, and a day a thousand years. So that's why they so say you never seven. know. Yeah, you get a day. People don't come to the vision because they perceive themselves as existing in a world in crisis. They read the apocalyptic vision, and that colors their view of reality such that they perceive a crisis where they hadn't before. So it it cuts a couple ways. We could be inclined to apocalyptic vision, write down that apocalyptic vision, and a guy who's just like having a great day walks by, picks it up, and he's like, oh man. The world is ending. I had no idea. But it's teasing out all these feelings that we have or inclinations we might have for apocalypse. So Domitian might not have been murdering Christians, but he was insisting on a cult of worship that challenged their identity, going back to our first segment. Christians at the end of Rome's Flavian dynasty might not have perceived this state of affairs as creating a crisis, that is, until they read the words of John the Revelator. Readers willing to see the devil in Domitian even if the thought had never occurred to them before, would discover that devil after picking up Revelation, and that's the point of the apocalyptic vision. If they didn't see the fullness of evil before, they'll surely see it by means of the Revelator. For LaHaye and Lindsay, there's a case to be made that we reached peak evil in the 1990s. Disaffected youth, listening to Nirvana in their plaid and jinkos. <laughs> Nuclear proliferation and human-made disasters like Chernobyl because they were listening to Nirvana and Plaid and Jinkos and weren't paying attention to the nuclear meltdown that was happening in their facility. Wide-scale material... No, that's not true. That's not a true story. <laughs> no? That didn't actually happen. Oh. Sure? Widespread materialism brought on by the boom times of the 1980s and uh, the economic prosperity of the Clinton years. So we're just all having all this good stuff. The 90s were nice. I'm sorry you guys missed them. Mm -hmm. We had so much cool stuff. We had like Nintendo and uh, like Sega and we didn't have to go to the arcade anymore like we did in the 80s. We'd just stay yeah. at home and we had uh, these huge TVs that weren't flat but were still like fun to play on. Yeah, when we were... We were alive in the 90s. We just didn't do anything. Yeah. Bear. I could not really... Oh, turtles she well, she were both teenage and mutant, and also ninja. They were all three things in addition to being turtles. It was Saturday it was a wild cartoons. time. Loved yeah. it. It was a wild, wild time. It was, and there was like nothing big happening. 
No, it was cool yeah. and chill, and we were just, you know, occasionally bombing Kosovo. But other than that, my mom know, said everyone that has a hobby. When nine eleven happened, which is like I, w- yeah, I don't know, pop the bubble. Yeah, she was like, "Oh, it's not going to be the Wait, same." For what me. year were you born? Like growing up, two thousand one, two thousand, two thousand. So you were one. <laughs> but uh, as Riley's saying, uh, the '90s seemed pretty idyllic compared to our current circumstances. We got the rise of far-right nationalism in Europe and America. We've got the refugee crisis on our borders, also around the globe. We've got the imminent threat of climate change, corporate malfeasance, environmental poisoning. This is why I told my students that I think we, these are the end times and civilization has failed and we need to start over. <laughs> Trash it all. I'm going to homeschool my kid and move to the woods. Uh, we'll all podcast from a shack somewhere as civilization crumbles <laughs> Our, around ooh, us. Ooh, podcast shack. Podcast shack. Mm. Can we have a occult confession shelter, like a bomb shelter? Sure, I'll get to work on that. Thanks. We're going to move soon and we'll build one. Your Patreon dollars can right. help us. There you go. <laughs> Could we still broadcast from in a shelter, if, depending on how like... We'll put up a little antenna. Okay, <gasps> yeah. And only patrons get to survive, get right. to come. Yeah, they get to come. They can visit. <laughs> oh my God, if they survive. Right, if they survive. That's true. Yeah, we get to survive first. Hmm. So, uh, maybe now is really the moment for apocalypse and not earlier, Lehe and, and friends. Believers in the 2012 phenomena certainly thought so. The point is, for those inclined to read an apocalypse into their circumstances, there's always an apocalypse ready and waiting to be read. The trouble for a Christian apocalypse is its linear structure. Unlike the Mayan cycles and Hindu transformations, a Christian apocalypse can only come once. Purge evil, establish heaven on earth, and be done. That's it. That's it. And so Christian claims that name a specific date are often the boldest end-time predictions, which is why we don't often see them in the stories we share about the rapture and revelation. Bring us on home, Olivia. Oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. Joining us on uh, The Voices today, we did have Sean Priest, also Brie Litterall, doing our uh, St. John the Revelator. We mixed up the genders there because we don't know who it was. It's just John. It could be We're Joanne. a modern folk here. Could have been anyone. We're progressive, modern Pro- We are a progressive podcast. We're uh, the occult podcast. <laughs> right, we are we the definition, right, of progressive. <laughs> Uh, we had uh, Nick Ross and also Hunter Sheeler doing some voices for us in the mix. Thanks, guys. Uh, joining me around the table, we had Riley Claxton, resident Catholic. Thanks for having me again. No, no worries. Cool. Delightful. We had Jacob Wheatley, resident Knight of the Dangling Serpent. <laughs> I'm back, baby better than ever oh yeah <laughs> and olivia literal our grandmaster you didn't ask me but the rapture is now <laughs> irrelevant it's happening right now <laughs> i just feel that from you i think all the time so i didn't need to ask i think our listeners feel that i also. think you're trying to invoke People the rapture but... are the rapture <laughs> i think that <laughs> the four of us are about to walk out of this building and nobody else be there gone, it, it, it just happened here <laughs> we missed it like an earthquake and i'm just gonna we scream were in a car i knew an it, <laughs> <and we missed laughs> it. <laughs> on a plane yeah. <laughs> me my name is rob thompson i am your supreme hierophant here at the old alchemical actor occult confessions uh coming up next on occult confessions we are going to be turning to and i am very proud of this title sex and the second coming 
He's really proud. <laughs> Sounds like a parody of Sex in the City. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, two uh, religious thinkers in America from the 19th century, uh, late 18th and early 19th century. So actually from the dawn of American history, both who had sort of opposing views on uh, sex, but equally believed that the second coming had in fact happened. So, uh, something to look forward to next time here on Occult Confessions. Thank you for listening. We look forward to speaking with you again. Bye!